I'm back. Did you miss me? I hope you miss me. And here I am again with another quack cast, a skeptical and sarcastic evaluation of quacks, frauds, and charlatans, or preferentially called supplements, complementary, and alternative medicine scams. This podcast is being done in May 2009 and is entitled 31 Sentences, 57 Teradiddles. Now, this is brought to you as always by Pusware LLC, the publisher of the Persiflager's annotated compendium of infectious disease facts, opinion, and dogma, your uber hyperlinked electronic guide to infectious diseases at pusware.com. Also, as a reminder, one, you can read more of my logoria at sciencebasedmedicine.org. You can listen to my infectious disease podcast available on iTunes. And I'm going to be speaking at TAM7. There's a pre-meeting of science-based medicine, and I'm going to be talking on Lyme disease. I'm going to be talking on all the key points, so I guess you could say it's a key Lyme talk. So anyway, remember, all the references are on the website where you can find old podcasts as well. Now, on to the podcast. 31 sentences, 57 teradiddles. What's a teradiddle, you ask? T-A-R-A-D-I-D-D-L-E. It's a new word I just discovered in the Apple Dictionary when I was looking for a synonym for lie. A teradiddle is pretentious nonsense, which is probably what I should have called the podcast in the first place. Teradiddle. Although, whether it describes me or the topics of the podcast, I shall leave to others. I do have this unfortunate predilection for obscure and archaic words like persiflagers. I really wish I'd called my infectious disease podcast The Pus Whisperer. I really wanted to call it Slacker Infectious Diseases after Slacker Astronomy, my all-time favorite podcast, but I didn't want to infringe upon the brand. I sure miss Slacker Astronomy. That was the best podcast ever. Sigh. But enough moping. With this podcast, I'm going to go through a blog entry line by line from a quote major unquote news source. You probably guessed where from the title. And we will see how many statements are true and how many statements are teradiddles. Again, you can probably guess the conclusion from the title of this podcast. So let's move on, shall we? Number one, the headline. Antibiotics cause cancer? Question mark. I feel like Captain Spaulding. Gentlemen, question mark. Put it on the penultimate, not on the diphthonic. You want to brush up on your Greek, Jamison? Well, get a Greek and brush up on him. Well, no, they don't. Antibiotics do not cause cancer. Not directly, not indirectly. Antibiotics remain remarkably safe compared to most other drugs. There are almost 500,000 references on PubMed concerning antibiotics. None, as in zip, zilch, nil, nada, are concerning the oncogenic, i.e. cancer-causing potential of antibiotics. So we start off with half a teradiddle because it has a question mark. Sentence 2. Antibiotics are widely used by the medical establishment and even by animal farmers. True, although awkwardly phrased. It's individual doctors, not the medical establishment, that prescribe antibiotics, and it's patients who use them. However, this sentence is one of the few teradiddle-free sentences in the article. Sentence 3. In fact, these days more antibiotics are given to animals 
that are consumed than are distributed to people, which means that a lot of people are getting those drugs secondhand. Unfortunately, they do put subtherapeutic levels of many types of antibiotics in animal feed. Antibiotics in animal feed results in the animals getting bigger, faster, and there is less die-off. And they also give antibiotics to animals to treat infections as well. The use of antibiotics does breed resistant bacteria, and the farming industry give antibiotics in a way that maximizes the ability of bacteria to become resistant. Low concentrations for prolonged periods of times. However, if used legally, antibiotics have to be removed from the food supply of animals at least 30 days before they are slaughtered. The withdrawal times appear to be less for milk. Most antibiotics are gone from the body after four to six half-lives, which is about two to four days depending on antibiotics. Now, the concentration of antibiotics in animal feeds is less than you would take for a urinary tract infection or an ear infection, so the amount in your food would be negligible even before they let the animal go antibiotic-free for a period of time before the slaughter. Unless you are into homeopathy, in which case, as the concentrations of antibiotics fall in the food you eat, the stronger they become, this isn't true. Unfortunately, bacteria don't understand the law of infinitesimals and prefer the law of Nietzsche. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. The FDA has standards for antibiotic residues. I love that term, residues. And they test to see if antibiotics are found in the food we eat. It's very unusual. For example, from the FDA website, they tested 20,853 samples that were analyzed for 42 chemical residue violations, and they found violations that consisted of four antibiotics and 16 sulfonamides. Now, I don't know why they don't class sulfonamides as antibiotics, but that's your government in action. It's safe to say inadvertent contamination of your food by antibiotic residues is uncommon. And the concentration of antibiotics were on the order of 0.3 to 1 part per million. The FDA tests for antibiotic residues in meats, and antibiotics are therefore found at infinitesimal levels in less than 1% of specimens. For milk, they tested over 3 million samples and found 3,500 antibiotic residues, again, at minuscule concentrations. Most of the time, your food is antibiotic-free, and on the rare chance that it does have an antibiotic in it, it is so dilute as to be functionally non-existent. Antibiotics, like other drugs, have this pesky dose-response curve. Increasing the concentration has increasing effects, and decreasing antibiotics below a threshold, they will have no effects at all. So I give this sentence one teradiddle. Unfortunately, teradiddles only come in one size. However, if they did come in sizes, this would be an incredible hulk of a teradiddle. Sentence four. And many people still believe that antibiotics are helpful. We've all heard stories of mothers and patients coming close to demanding them. Another awkward and leading sentence. I certainly think antibiotics are a benefit. My career is based on that fact. It also kind of implies there are people who think antibiotics have no benefit or perhaps are even harmful. Mothers and patients don't come close, however. They do demand antibiotics, although in my practice it is a rare event. Depending on the situation, that's a true sentence. Zero teradiddles. 
although there are some people who believe a teradiddle is helpful, and we've all heard stories of mothers and patients coming close to demanding that this sentence gets a teradiddle. Sentence 5. But did you know that antibiotics can cause a great deal of long-term harm in the body? As we shall see as we continue with the remaining sentences, the reason you don't know it is that antibiotics do not cause a great deal of long-term harm in the body. That sentence is, how do I put this, not true. So why would you want to know a fiction about your health? I have found it is best to stick with reality when dealing with illness. So, one great big fat juicy teradiddle for the fifth sentence. Sentence six, let me explain. Now, if each step of an explanation is a teradiddle, then the explanation itself is a teradiddle. Therefore, the sentence, quote, let me explain, end quote, is by logic a teradiddle. So this rates a deductive, or would that be an inductive teradiddle? And perhaps, by extension, 30 more. One for each teradiddlius, am I a Ned Flanders here, or what? Teradiddlius step in the explanation. Sentence 7. Antibiotics kill bacteria in the body. It's commonly known, and it's actually the reason they're taken. A correct sentence, and I really like the actually, as if there was another reason antibiotics are taken. Nary a teradiddle to be seen in this lonely sentence, and we shall not see us like again for five long sentences and many a more teradiddle. So long, true sentence, we barely knew ye. Sentence 8. But what isn't widely known is that the body has healthy bacteria called probiotics lining our intestinal tract. A. The bacteria that line our GI tract are not probiotics. Probiotics are bacteria that one consumes in pills or other forms, such as yogurt, to replace normal flora. The bacteria of the GI gut are not probiotics unless you're eating somebody's stool straight up. And B, the organisms in probiotics are different strains than those that are found in the normal GI tract, as I talked about at length in the probiotic podcast. Also, the adjective healthy to describe these bacteria is odd. It implies that the bacteria in your colon are not ill. I think the author may have meant non-pathogenic, but precision of language can't be everybody's strong point. Maybe not. I assume too much, perhaps, given this whole post has so little precision of language. But for the complete misrepresentation of probiotics, two teradiddles. Sentence nine, and we're not even halfway through. These healthy bacteria, which should be in abundance in our guts, dine on unhealthy bacteria and yeast in our bodies, serving to keep these problems in check for us. Normal bacteria neither dine on unhealthy, and here I suppose the author is using unhealthy as a synonym for pathogenic, bad use of language, precision of thought manifests itself as precision of speech and writing. Half a teradiddle for that. But normal bacteria die neither on unhealthy bacteria or yeast. They do serve to keep a few pathogens at bay, primarily the causes of bacterial gastroenteritis, by mass action. Normal fecal flora crowd out potential pathogens. There is simply no space for the pathogenic organisms to live. 
But just on size alone, for a lactobacillus or an E. coli to dine on a yeast would be like me trying to consume Shaquille O'Neal in one bite. Two more teradiddles, one for dining on yeast, one for dining on bacteria. I am a splitter, not a lumper. We are now a third of the way through at sentence 10. Actually, actually, these healthy bacteria form the basis of our immune system. Or they did until we took antibiotics, because antibiotics regularly kill our healthy bacteria. These bacteria have nothing to do with the basis of our immune system, which consists of antibodies and complements and white cells and a host of different T cells and the toll system and on and on and on. Actually, to use the author's favorite word, actually, the immune system spends not an insignificant amount of time keeping these, quote, healthy, said in air quotes, bacteria at bay. Wipe out the immune system, perforate a colon, and those healthy bacteria turn on you, becoming unhealthy, invading, and can kill you lickety-split, as anyone who takes care of cancer patients is aware. I spend a large part of my time killing invasive, healthy bacteria, and probably more than I do killing unhealthy ones, to use the odd adjectives of the author. The use of antibiotics has almost no effect on the immune system, with the exception, maybe, of some macrolides. But using antibiotics does not lead to an alteration in the immune system by killing off bacteria. You do get overgrowth syndromes with antibiotics. If you kill off normal flora with antibiotics, what isn't killed has free space to grow. That's how yeast infections occur with antibiotics. The immune system is not affected. If you cut down all the trees, the blackberries, plants, not the phone, grow. The dirt remains the same. If I were writing for 14studies.org, I would rate this 50 teradiddles just based on massive ignorance. However, I cannot in good faith give it more than two. Sentence 11. And that can set you up for numerous problems down the road, including some very serious problems. While the content of the sentence is vague enough with the, quote, numerous problems, end quote, not yet specified, so one cannot vouch one way or the other for the veracity of the sentence. In the context of what is to come, it is worth half a teradiddle, because in the context of what is to come, it is in error. Sentence 12. A problem called candida, or candida overgrowth, is a common fungal problem that develops after using antibiotics without replenishing your healthy bacteria with probiotics. Note earlier, the author suggested that the bacteria that line your colon were probiotics, so here one would think she's telling you to go eat shit. However, A. Candida overgrowth is not a common problem. B. You do not have to take probiotics to replenish normal flora after antibiotics. As mentioned, probiotics contain different species than your feces. Ooh, maybe I should do a quack cast wrap. Uh, no, bad idea. Time and exposure to poo, and we are all exposed to poo every day in innumerable ways, in everything we do and everything we eat, will ensure that most of us will get back our fecal flora with time. One teradiddle. No, wait. Teradiddle overgrowth. I have to give it two teradiddles. One for not being common, and another for saying you have to take something, probiotics, to replenish your normal flora. Sentence 
13, a lucky number. Now, that may sound like a small problem because you may not have heard of it, and therefore you think it doesn't apply to you. I think the author is using small where the author meant unusual. The sentence implies that it does, in fact, apply to you, and they imply that, in fact, it is not a small problem. It is not a small problem. It is a non-existent problem in the context of this blog entry, and also, it does not apply to you. So I will imply two teradiddles for this sentence. Sentence 14, but not when you understand two things. Now, since the two things the author wants you to understand are, in fact, incorrect, this apparently innocuous sentence contains the seeds of two errors. So I give the seeds of two teradiddles. Sentence 15. Thank God we are halfway through. Jesus. First, an estimated 90% of the population has a problem with Canada overgrowth, although most don't know it. Canada overgrowth affects a small percentage of the population, mostly cancer patients and AIDS patients, as well as the occasional case of Canada vaginitis. 90% of the population does not have a problem with Canada. And where does this estimation come from? There's no reference. The author apparently pulls it out of thin air, or is perhaps one of the three out of two people who do not understand statistics. 1.5 teradiddles. Sentence 16. And second, Canada overgrowth can be the root cause of literally hundreds of different problems in the body. The Canada syndrome, which I discussed in another podcast, is nonsense. And if it literally causes hundreds of different problems, then I should literally give hundreds of teradiddles. But I shall be gracious and give it a mere one teradiddle. Sentence 17. The problems can be many for a couple of reasons. Like sentence 14, since the couple of things the author wants you to understand are, in fact, incorrect, this apparently innocuous sentence also contains the seeds of two errors, so two teradiddles. At the 18-minute mark, we are at sentence 18. That cannot be a coincidence. One, Canada overgrowth is a fungus that can grow and nest in any number of areas in the body, and it will generally cause problems wherever it is. No, again, Canada species are part of your normal flora, and you will always find it in small numbers everywhere. In generally, it causes no problems wherever it is in normal people, i.e. damn near everyone's. Birds nests, bees nest, educated fleas do not, and neither does Canada. Give it another teradiddle. Sentence 19. And two, Canada is a living, breathing organism that similar to how humans release carbon dioxide as a byproduct of respiration, releases about 80 different chemicals as a byproduct of its existence. Well, technically, since Canada doesn't have lungs, Canada doesn't breathe, it does have aerobic and anaerobic metabolism, and it does use oxygen in its metabolism, and like normal bacteria, does make chemicals it releases into the environment. No different than all living things. Everything makes potentially toxic chemicals that it releases into the environment. You want toxic chemicals as a byproduct of metabolism? Try sitting next to my youngest son at his most flatulent. 
The problem is that everything Canada makes are at concentrations so tiny that they will never hurt you. I suppose I should give it more than 80 different teradiddles, one for each chemical, but I will give it one toxic teradiddle. We are now two-thirds of the way through at sentence 20. I'm sure your pain and discomfiture is increasing with each sentence, and this could probably be used for enhanced interrogation techniques if we were a less moral society. But on to sentence 20. All of those chemicals are toxic, and one of them is chemically similar to formaldehyde. Ba -ba -ba -ba. I suppose all of them are toxic if ingested at high enough concentrations, like, say, water. Oh, my God. Canada makes dihydrogen oxide, which is toxic. Now, formaldehyde, which everybody makes as a result of biochemistry, is present at levels about one to two parts per million in everybody. All living things make a little formaldehyde. Canada can't make enough formaldehyde or any other, quote, toxin, unquote, to hurt anybody because it can't make those concentrations without killing itself. But note they don't say formaldehyde. They say chemically similar to formaldehyde. I wonder what that might be. Now, some of the Canada Syndrome websites get all wiggins about acetaldehyde production of Canada. Formaldehyde is CH2O. Acetaldehyde is CH3CHO. And it's close to formaldehyde. Now, what is acetaldehyde? Well, it, quote, occurs naturally in ripe fruit, coffee, and fresh bread, and is produced by plants as part of their normal metabolism. It is popularly known as the chemical that causes hangovers, unquote. You know, your liver turns alcohol into acetaldehyde, which makes you feel sick and gives you a headache. It takes a lot of acetaldehyde to kill you. The LD50, the amount it takes to kill 50 rats, is 661 milligrams per kilogram of rat. Now, my personal favorite yeast toxin is ethanol, specifically beer. I wonder if the author drinks beer, especially a good Hefeweizen that still has the yeast in it. Probably not. No teradiddles for obscurity, just one teradiddle for saying everything Canada makes is toxic. Sentence 21, the sentence that's old enough to vote. And every time you eat sugar or refined carbohydrates, you're feeding the overgrowth its favorite foods and giving it the fuel it needs to keep growing. Evil sugar, evil refined carbs. You know, everything you eat feeds the yeast and the rest of the bacteria in your body. That's true, but it's trivially true. There is zero data to suggest that eating sugar or refined carbs leads to increased yeast growth and then an increase in toxins. But again, it sounds so ominous. But I can't help but give it a Twinkie-covered teradiddle. Sentence 22. The symptoms of Canada overgrowth can vary widely from person to person, but I'll give you a short list. There is no Canada overgrowth symptom, and it causes no symptoms. So this list should be shorter than the one teradiddle it deserves. It should consist of no entries. One teradiddle. Nope, 
wrong sentence. 23, dandruff, eczema, headaches, allergies, rashes, acne, aches, pains, PMS, brain fog, sore muscles, fibromyalgia, anger, depression, and many, many more can all be symptoms of this overgrowth. Now, I thought these were the symptoms of chronic Lyme's disease. Nope. More's the pity. Canada causes none of the above. Puberty, however, will. 14 teradiddles, one for each symptom listed, as well as many, many more teradiddles for the many, many more, quote. Sentence 24. Remember, that's the short list. A short list, but not short enough. And a list of nonsense, so yet another teradiddle. Sentence 25. You still with me? You awake? Come on, wake up. You got things to pay attention to here. And depending on your diet, you may not see any symptoms until years after you've killed off all your healthy bacteria. Not true. Taking antibiotics today leads to zero long-term symptoms from killing off your bacteria because your bacteria bounce back right away no matter what you eat. I'm really starting to wonder if the author is just making this stuff up. The statement makes blaming antibiotics for disease unfalsifiable. Since everyone takes an antibiotic at some point in your life, you can always, therefore, always blame the antibiotic no matter how distant the use. Causality is not really the strong point of the author. So three teradiddles in one sentence. Sentence 26, in which the author lays the foundation for killing innocent people. It's also fascinating that an oncologist in Rome, Dr. Tullio Simoncini, says that cancer is a fungus and actually an advanced form of Canada overgrowth. Now, right now, I am reading Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere. It is a great book. I would go so far as to call it fascinating, but it's fiction, just like the work of Simoncini. Cancer is not a fungus, and it is not advanced Canada overgrowth. Simoncini treats his patients with sodium bicarbonate injections, which can and has killed patients, and then, as a side effect, killed the cancer. If you kill the patient, the cancer is no longer viable. He is a loon. I shall quote from a website here. When Marjolene Bauman was first diagnosed with ovarian cancer, she was advised to take conventional therapy. Instead, she decided to contact Tullio Simoncini in Rome, where she was given a number of injections with sodium bicarbonate by him. The other part of the treatment consisted of infusions of sodium bicarbonate, which Marjolene administered herself in her own home in the Netherlands. Soon after, Simoncini declared that Marjolene was completely cured, ecstatically happy. Those words just make me want to cry, ecstatically happy. Anyway, Marjolene became a staunch advocate of Simoncini's sodium bicarbonate therapy. However, undeniable proof of her miracle cure was never delivered in spite of repeated promises. A few months ago, Marjolene stated that Simoncini had deceived her and that she had not been cured at all. At that time, her cancer had already metastasized so extensively that she had less than 40% chance of recovery. She also said that Simoncini's use of therapy had caused her to lose valuable time, which might well have been fatal.
She died recently. Marjolene was only 25 years old and the mother of a little boy. End quote. Three tombstone-shaped pterodiddles. We're rounding the corner and coming up on sentence 27. You can read more in his book, Cancer is a Fungus, in which he scientifically explains that the cause of cancer, quote, is always and only candida, end quote. Given the author's peculiar use of language, I would presume that the term scientifically is used in a way not understood by people who do, well, science, and in fact refers to some other methodology like not science. It's like reading Orwell's 1984, and here I paraphrase, quote, In HuffPo at the present, science, in the old sense, has almost ceased to exist. In Wu, there is no word for science. The empirical method of thought on which all the scientific achievements of the past were founded is opposed to the most fundamental principles of Wu. George Orwell, 1984, Book 1, Chapter 9. Even the most cursory evaluation of Simoncini would suggest that he does not know a burro from a burrow, i.e. an ass from a hole in the ground, and would not recognize a cancer or a canada if it walked up and bit him on the diddle. This particular form of lunacy may warrant its own podcast someday. Simoncini explains nothing from science. Canada is never and only never Canada. Three scientifically explained pterodiddles. Sentence 28. Because Dr. Simoncini is having a great deal of success eliminating cancer in the body very quickly, I believe he's one to listen to. I shall repeat from the quote above, quote, However, undeniable proof of her miracle cure was never delivered in spite of repeated promises, end quote. Not by her, not by anybody, not ever. Dead men tell no tales. A long, mournful wail of despair for the needlessly killed pterodiddle. Sentence 29. In any case, if you take antibiotics, it's incredibly important to replenish your healthy bacteria liberally afterwards while keeping sugar and refined carbohydrates to a bare minimum until these bacteria are replaced. Again, probiotics and foods do not contain normal fecal flora, not even close. There are a thousand strains of bacteria in your gut, most of which cannot be grown, and most of which you do not want in your food. And there is no data that your diet will alter fecal flora or decrease candida after a course of antibiotics to alter the development of cancer. This is nonsense. Two supplemented pterodiddles. Sentence 30. These healthy bacteria were given to us as infants through breast milk for a reason, and they can also be consumed and replenished through supplements, quality yogurts, organic miso, and unpasteurized sauerkraut. Normal bacteria do not come from breast milk, which is sterile. If your mother had fecal flora in her breast milk, she had some serious hygiene issues. As mentioned, it is the poo that you inadvertently consume that is the source of normal fecal flora, not breast milk. 
The foods mentioned do not contain fecal flora, although you would not guess it from the taste of sauerkraut. Five teradiddles, one for each food mentioned. We're now at sentence 31, and you're probably ready to confess to the Kennedy assassination. Sentence 31, most people would do well to consume these foods regularly. Not for the reasons given, so one last teradiddle. I mean, really, why should you care? Well, this article came from a website, as you know, the Huffington Post. They get 4.5 million unique visits a month. Huge, easily more than three logs greater than them what listen to this podcast. Lest you think this is an anomaly, the same author has several other posts on the Huffington and suggests, for example, that the best way to avoid swine flu is to have a colon cleansing. If you have a respiratory virus in your colon, you have a lot more to worry about than will be fixed by a colon cleansing. Now, the Huffington Post is not a bastion of responsible medical reporting that has been well described by doctors Novella and Gorski on the Science-Based Medicine blog. And you see, I have this problem. There are two things that I know a lot about, infectious disease and quackery. And I read my local newspaper, and they usually get both of them wrong when they write about either infections or scams. And yet, I'm supposed to trust what they say on issues of equal importance like war or the economy. To pull the Uncle Ben card, with great power comes great responsibility. The kinds of entries as we've gone through above are dangerous in that they are literally issues of life and death as Marjolaine Bauman sadly demonstrates. Someone may take this raving nonsense as true, since it comes from a, quote, reputable source, unquote, and decide to have their cancer treated by Dr. Simoncini. They will die of their cancer. You just can't have Paris Hilton as your medical editor unless you really don't give a rat's ass if people live or die by what you print. And people do believe what you print. Major media is believed by the people who read it. I wonder if someone submitted a post to the HuffPo that suggests an alternative explanation of gravity that rendered elevators worthless. If you want to get from the third floor to the ground, just jump out a window. Use the alternative. That's what this post represents. You jump out the window of woo only to splat on the cement of science. Oh, God, can I come up with a metaphor. Jenny McCarthy has her body count page. I wonder if it's time to add one for the Huffington Post. And so that's the end of this podcast. The Quackcast. Rock 2 is a side project of Pusware.com, where you will find the Persiflagers Puscast, a bi-weekly review of infectious diseases with free type 1 CME. Remember, you can also read me on the Science-Based Medicine blog and my infectious disease blog, Rubor, Dolor, Kalor, Tumor. The world needs more Mark Chrislop. And with that in mind, come say hi to me at the Science-Based Medicine Conference that precedes TAM7 in Las Vegas. I prefer ESBs and IPAs, as well as really cold Appletinis. You're buying because you've been too cheap to donate to the overhead of this podcast. Anyway, it's copyright 2009 Creative Commons. References are available on the show notes and can be found at quackcast.com. 
Send your hate mail and spam to knowitall at quackcast.com. I don't think I'll ever answer another email again. If I answer emails, I don't have time to do other things, and I am a slow writer. The music is by my son when he was 12, improvising on the guitar. He's now 16 and a wicked good guitar player, and he's going to state in golf. Go Aardvarks. Yeah, it says high school team's mascot, the Aardvarks. We have so many lame mascots here in the Great Pacific Northwest, but I start to ramble. Talk to you guys later. Bye.